Do you believe in the devil? Uh, do I believe in the devil? <laughs> I don't think so. Do you believe in the devil? No. No, I don't believe in the devil. I just never really bought into all that, I guess. I'm not sure if there's an actual, like, Satan or hell. I'd rather not believe in the devil. I'd prefer God. No, I don't think I believe in the devil. Can you tell me why not? Um, there's really nothing written or documented about it. How do you know he exists if there's nothing you believe in God? Because, you know, there's the Bible and all that about it, but there's nothing about the devil. Tell me why not. I don't necessarily believe in God either. I mean, so there's no God, there's no devil. Actually, um, I don't really believe in God too, so why believe in devil if I don't believe in God? Do you believe in the devil? Yes, I believe in the devil. If it's a God, it's got to be the devil. Do you believe in the devil? Yes, I do. Not a physical devil. Do I believe in the devil? I believe in the presence of evil. I'm not sure if that's personified in the devil or not, but I do believe that there is evil present in the world. I guess the angel of Gabriel was supposed to be Satan. Uh, he was turned into Satan. He was banished to hell, and uh, that's probably where evil came from, you know? What, what do you think? What do you think he looks like if he's real? Um, scary looking. <laughs> Red, black, I don't know. Everyone has their image of what the devil looks like, which is, you know, this a creature with horns and, you know, everything, but I don't think no one knows what the devil looks like. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, the big red guy with the pointy, pointy tail and the horns and the pitchfork and stuff. I don't really think he's got a form, just like, just darkness. What is his purpose? His purpose? No, that's a good question. That I don't know. It's like yin and yang. There has to be a balance there. So he's there to balance out the good that's out there. I don't know. I guess I think everything has its opposite, and he's just the opposite of godliness and goodness. How do you know the devil doesn't exist? Well, I don't really know. I mean, <laughs> who really knows? It's just uh, you gather information around you and make your own decisions. I don't know. That's exactly. I don't know if there is a god. I don't know if there you know, is a devil. I don't know if there's hell, you know, it could be, could not be. How do you know there isn't a devil? I don't know that something like that doesn't exist. And while I'm willing to entertain the idea that it does exist, I don't personally believe that it exists. I'm not really a big religious person, so I don't know. I'm sort of like, eh, on the whole God-Devil deal. I'm just, I don't know. I'm not, I don't worry about it. How do you know there isn't a devil? Uh, I don't really like know that one doesn't exist, but to me there's just been there's been nothing to prove that there was some like outward force that caused people to do something. It was just themselves working for their own personal gain, I guess. So that doesn't concern you at all? Um I wouldn't say I wouldn't wasn't concerned, just I don't know, I have honestly better things to worry about. I don't know about you, but I always find it humorous, all the street interviews. I'm so glad I've never been one of the ones that they ask, because being right there on the spot, you might even actually know it, but it'd be like, ah, and you'd end up saying something stupid, and like, oh gosh. There's so many of those that I love to watch, though, on the late night talk shows and just different ones, like, how can people be so stupid? But they are. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at a different aspect of God but it's certainly part of what we need to be well-rounded and to know the fullness of God. So if you'll open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at the very beginning of creation. 
Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over all the birds of the sky and the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing. Now look at this. He said, let them rule over the creeping things. So God knew there's going to be creeps long before everything was created. And he says, you have rule over them. So look at how he's like, hello, watch out, watch out for the creeping things. The serpent, of course, came to Eve. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And he comes to her and he's trying to, you know, slither his way up and try and get in there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. God told him, look out for creeps. Here he comes creeping up. God had made. And he said, indeed, has God said to you. So right here from the very beginning, God just created the heavens and the earth. He just created all of creation. Everything's beautiful and wonderful. And here comes the slithering, creeping thing. Snakes are everywhere. They're trying to get you. They're trying to just slide into your life, and they want to try and deceive you or take you out. Well, I actually have a personal story for our family that also has to do with this. It was 18 years ago that Joy was born. We just celebrated her 18th birthday this past week. But a very traumatic thing happened after we had her birthday. So I have some pictures here of her first birthday. We had, happy birthday, Joy, your first birthday. And then we gave her the cake. And wasn't she so cute with the chocolate all over her face as she's cringing in the back. And then, you know, look at that adorable face. That's just so beautiful. And of course, there's one with Lenore holding her. And look how beautiful Lenore is there. And just, she was just this tiny little girl, you know, at her one-year-old birthday party. And then the next week after the birthday party, we just moved into a new place for, uh, I think we'd been there for a few months, and we're, we're just still, there's probably still presents all around and the wrapping and all this stuff. And I went to get my oil changed, and I have this terrible habit of not being able to sit still or do anything. So as soon as I'm getting my oil changed, I'm, I'm calling Lenore because I can't do nothing with my time. As soon as I called her, she picked up the phone. She goes, Joy just got bit by a snake. And I'm like, uh-huh, what? what? What in the world are you talking about? She goes, you just got, I said, what kind of thing? I don't know. I said, well, call 911. She goes, I don't know the number. I mean, this, this is one of those funny things that you hear about, but it actually happened in our life. I'm like, all right, hang up. You take care of Joy, and I will call 911. So I called 911 and got them all the details, told the guy, get my car off of this rack. I've got to go. So I don't care if you've changed the oil. If you haven't, just get me out of here. I've got to go right now. And then I jump in my car, and I'm going 120 miles an hour in my little white Aerostar van on the interstate. I didn't think it could go 120. Turns out it can. And I'm flying. Now, something about me, I'm the cool, calm, collected guy. I'm the one who knows what's going on. I can handle everything. It's like I can just compartmentalize things. Okay, we got to do this next. We got to do this. We got to do this. Okay, this is who we got to call. This is, what, this is the next step. I've got, all that just stuff comes natural to me. That's a God-given talent. I'm sitting there in my truck, and I can't remember the number to the church. I'm the one who knows to, the number I could probably still tell you the number right now after we haven't been there for 15 years. But that day, in that tunnel vision of everything, just getting in there, I couldn't remember anything. 
I couldn't remember any scriptures to pray. I couldn't remember anything profound and like, oh, Father God in heaven. I couldn't remember anything. I only could remember my one friend, Les Schrock's number. And I called him. I said, Les, Joy just got bit by a snake. I can't remember the number of the church. I don't know anything, but just call whoever needs to be called. And I'm still driving, and everything is a blur to me. And the only thing I could pray, the absolute only thing that came into my mind, and I'm screaming it out to the top of my lungs as I'm driving, is my daughter will live and not die. That's all there was. We get to the, hosp- or I get to the house, and the EMS already had her in the ambulance, and they're waiting. They wouldn't let me in the ambulance because they're about to take off, and they're deciding if they're going to fly her in the helicopter or if they're going to drive her to the... They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. It was a huge trauma alert for that small of a baby. She was 18 pounds, like a little bag of sugar. So end up, I followed them to the hospital, and Andrew and Lenore were in the back with Joy, and when they started pulling the gurney out, it just kept coming, and there's nothing, there's nothing, and there's nothing, and there's joy. Just at the very top of it, you know, it's just like this little 18-pound bag of sugar. It's just like, she was just there. So tiny. So we bring her in there, Lenore and Andrew. Lenore was pregnant with Jen, so she was five months pregnant. And Jen and um, Andrew and Lenore went into the waiting room, and I went into the emergency room with Joy. And they strip her down and trying to get at everything. And she turns out she was bit by a pygmy rattle, rattler. But not just a pygmy rattler, which are known to be some of the most poisonous, but a baby pygmy rattler. Because they don't know how to control and gauge the amount of venom they give you. They give you the whole shot. So somehow this little pygmy rattler that was this, long, this big um, found its way into our house and Lenore's doing laundry, and Joy's right there with her. This little, you saw the picture, just this little girl. And she picks up this snake, thinking it's a toy, and she's waving around like this because she's thinking it's a toy. She's one years old, she's playing. And it bit her three times in the webbing of her hand right there. And so immediately um, she starts screaming and hollering, and, and you know, that's when I called Lenore. So we got her into the hospital, and what they'll tell you about pygmy rattlers or any of those infectious snake bites is it starts traveling up your bloodstream, and when it's your heart, you're dead. So, in fact, a couple of weeks later, a five-year-old boy, so about this big, you know, a bigger boy, you know, he, um, he got barely nicked by a pygmy rattler, it wasn't even a baby one, and he died in like 20 minutes. So Joy took three complete hits, direct hits into her hand. It's this 18-pound 18 little girl. And so when I got in there, they had been making the marks with a permanent marker on her arm every 10 minutes, and the, the last one was right here. And so I'm just sitting there. I'm holding her. They can't find a vein. They can't find anything. They're poking all over her. She's screaming nonstop like I've never heard a baby cry ever in my life. And I'm just holding her head in the palm of my hand and just right, my mouth is right by her ear, just praying in tongues. And just telling her, Joy, you're going to be all right. And just praying in tongues, just going for it and just, just asking God, just, I don't know what to pray, so I'm praying in tongues. And so I'm just doing this. And at one point, I, I, I walked out with the doctor. I said, look, I'm a deputy sheriff and a first responder. Tell me that, like it is. He goes, I don't think she's going to make it. I'm like, well, I didn't want to hear that. You know, I'd rather you just, you know. So I go back in there and I'm holding her and they can't find a vein. 
They can't even draw blood. They can't put an IV in her. They can't do anything. They've tried everywhere they can. She's so tiny, they can't find it. They're on the phone with CDC and poison control, and they're like, we don't know what to do because she's so small. If we give her anti-venom, that will probably kill her. So we're just like, all this stuff, and I'm praying and praying and praying. Now, meanwhile, Lenore and Andrew are out in the, in the lobby, and Les had called everybody they needed to know, and it was a Wednesday night, so instead of going to all their small groups, everyone came to the hospital. So the hospital is just full of our church. I'm sure they were loving all of that because we just packed that place out. But Andrew's out there with Lenore. He goes, what if Joy goes to... Lenore's like, shut up, Andrew. <laughs> so I'm in there, and they're not doing anything. And before they even touched her, all of a sudden, the swelling started going down. Before my very eyes, I saw all that swelling go down to where all there is is just marks on her arm. God, before my very own eyes, touched my baby girl. Now, there's no reason why she should be alive today. They told us all these terrible things. They said it's a miracle that she's even alive. They ended up giving her eight vials of antivenom. But they said um, for sure she would have all the skin off her entire hand would fall off. They'd have to do skin grafts. They'd have to do everything. She'd be covered in welts. She'd be doing all this stuff. None of that happened. The only thing that even came close is she had a little bit of a rash. But God did a complete miracle in my daughter's life. It was the most amazing thing. But see, there's always serpents. There's always snakes. There's always something that's trying to take you out. I'm firmly convinced that Joy's got a great call on her life. That is why the enemy was trying to take her out. But you see, something I come to find out for myself, and I kind of coined this phrase for myself. Maybe other people have used it. I've never heard anyone else use it. Is a faith bank. See, in that moment... When Joy just got bit, I'm driving 120 miles down the road. That's not the time we go, you know, I really should look for scriptures that have to do with in need of emergency. Oh, let me see here. Well, First uh, Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes we were healed. That's a really good one. I think I will just buy. Okay, but that's not the time. See, I've been making deposits into my faith bank all along. When I'd go to prayer, when I was reading my Bible, when I was praying, when I was learning from the messages from church, when I was, do- I was doing all these things, I was putting in there, and I'm convinced I d- just withdrew all of it out at that moment. Now, it wasn't my works that saved her, it was God. But for me, I had to stand in faith, and there would have been nothing there had I not been putting things into it. Jesus talks about there's two houses. They're built on either the sand or on the rock. In Matthew 7, 24, I encourage you to go read it. But he talks about, he says, they both are built identical, and one is built on the sand, and one is built on the rock. It's on bedrock, so it's grounded. Then the storm came, but can I show you? The storm came to both. The storm came, and the one that was built on the sand fell down and was destroyed. It was completely demolished. But the one that was built on the rock, it needed a roof job. It probably had shutters that were all messed up on the outside, had a whole bunch of work that had to be done, but it stood. We all are going to go through difficult times. How are you going to be when it's over? Is the storm going to come? Is it going to destroy you? Or is it going to be something that you weather the storm and you're able to go on the other side and say, okay, I made it through the other side. Is your, house on built, is your house built on something 
that will withstand the storm. See, the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. It says the last part, but we were looking at the first part this week. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's coming to do. And I've been quoting the last part of this, but I have come, Jesus has come, that they may have life, that you may have life, and have it to the full. Or another translation says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But God's purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. But you see, the thief is always there. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It started off in the Bible saying, Look out for creepy things. You have rule over them. And he's saying right here, Jesus saying through Peter, Watch out. Your enemy, the devil, is looking to devour you. Be wise. We have to be wise to know all these things. See, that devourer is looking to get you, but God says, hey, I've got a plan. I've got a place that you can go, that you can build your house on the rock, that when these things come, they're not going to destroy you. Malachi 3 says that God will rebuke the devourer for you when you tithe and pay your offerings. It's not about buying God's protection. It's not like the mafia where, hey, I got to give you this money so you keep me safe. And, you know, it's not that at all. He says, hey, when you jump into my plan and you give me a tithe, and I'm not reading all this because this is not a message about giving. It is a message about being destroyed and de- the devourer is out looking for you. But God says, if you do what I'm asking you, when you're in my plan and one part of it's tithing, and when you tithe, I'm able to, dev- to rebuke the devourer for you. I don't know about you, but I want the, re- the devourer rebuked. I don't want to have things that are coming at me. I want God on my side so that it will not destroy the fruits of your ground nor the vines in your field. Or it's great. God says, even when you do what I'm telling you to do, I'm able to rebuke the devourer and keep you protected. So your house that's built on the rock is going to stand. How else do we build our house on the rock? We go to 21 days of prayer. Not that you have to come because of religious things. Not the way you had to pay tithes because you want this to happen. It's about building your house on the rock. There's steps that are going in there that makes this house built on the rock. Reading through the scriptures like we're doing as a church. So this month, Second Peter. Next month, it'll be something else. And all of those things are building up. Same thing, it built up inside of me. That when I needed to withdraw because I didn't know what to do. When I, the one who's always in control, didn't know the number to the church. I needed to withdraw. It was there. Now, the Apostle Paul went through something similar. Here he is. He used to be... This guy that was persecuting Christians, and he was so zealous in his job that he had his terrible reputation. He was a terrible, terrible, uh, just he would come in and he's not the guy you want to see come through the back door because he's going to murder everybody in the church because he thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was doing his job to the fullest. He has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and Jesus turns him around, and he ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Okay, That's just amazing. That's, that part of the story is just amazing all in itself. 
But here he is. He is now getting persecuted like he used to persecute people because he's the face of this new Christian movement of the Jesus thing. So he's thrown in prison. He writes letters to churches that we now have scripture for that are the letters. And that's what we're reading through every month. But he's in, he's in prison and he's getting beaten. He's getting all these things, terrible things happening to him. This time he's being taken to Rome to answer and to give an account. And he doesn't have a piece about getting on the ship, but he's a prisoner. He doesn't have a choice. They get out in the middle of the ocean and the storms come and they hit something and the the ship gets destroyed and they're all going to kill all of the prisoners just so they won't escape. And they're not held accountable for them. You know, and they're like, no, we have to take this guy, Paul. He's the big prisoner here, so we can't kill him. So they're out there in the ocean. Now, I want you to picture this, okay? The ship is destroyed, so they're just grabbing hold of any of the wood or something so they can float, and they're making their way, and they're out there trying to survive. They're just trying to live. Verse 28 of Acts, verse 1, says, Once we were safe on the shore, we learned that we're on the island of Malta. They didn't even know where they were at. Previously, it said they didn't even recognize the shoreline. They couldn't have a clue where they're at. But the people on the island were very kind to us. It was cold and raining. So stop. Look at that. Here they are out there in the ocean. The storm's coming. It's really, really bad. The, the, the ship hits some rocks or whatever, and it breaks up. The ship is all out there. They're grabbing a hold of just, just whatever parts of the ship that used to hold them. Now they're holding on to that for life. And they float. They finally get closer. But it's cold and it's raining. Doesn't that sound miserable? They're just happy they have their very life. I mean, they finally make it to the shore, and you'd be like, Ugh. But then these people that were kind to them, they built a fire on the shore to welcome them. So Paul, as a, as a great servant, verse 3, he goes out and starts picking up armfuls of sticks and laying them on the fire, and all of a sudden a snake out of the, out of the sticks jumps out and bites him on the hand. Just when you think your life is going just as bad as it can possibly go, and then you get shipwrecked, like, what else can happen? The enemy's still there. Look at it with a snake, creeping things, trying to take him out. So the snake bites him on the hand, just like it bit Joy on the hand. The next verse. So the people of the island, they saw it hanging from his hand. I love the the. the specificity of the bible so the snake is still hanging on his hand and they said to each other now you probably are like me we have people in our lives that they're just going to run their mouths about us a murderer no doubt though he escaped the sea justice will not permit him to live they didn't know who paul was they didn't have a clue but they see this and they're like oh he's a prisoner he's a murderer no doubt i bet he killed somebody and though he escaped the sea he didn't drown in the sea justice will not permit him to live they're running their mouths about him because they've seen people beat, they've seen people bitten by the snake and they see what happens to them. They're like, he's dead with that snake. The next verse. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. That thing is attached to him. It's still hanging and he just shakes it off. He's like, this isn't going to get me. This isn't going to be what takes me down. The next verse, the people were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. There's people in my life that they're just looking for me to fail. They're just looking for that to be it for me. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he was not harmed, they changed their minds and decided that he was a God. See, the devil wants, the snake wants to kill you. 
And if he can't kill you, he wants to make you ineffective. Where he wants to change everything. People want to judge you and they want to say what's going on in your life. Well, you just deserve that. Or you've got to be this kind of a bad person because this stuff has happened to you. Let me tell you, those houses that were built on the rock, that storm came. Not because they were bad. Because they just come. We all are going to find ourselves in places that we're in need of God to save us. Would you bow your heads with me? God, while I've personally faced a terrible situation with a snake and a snake bite, Lord, I thank you for joy. I thank you that we were able to celebrate her 18th birthday last week. Lord, I thank you that that snake didn't take her out. Lord, I thank you for the analogy that we can even relate to that this morning and see how the snake is always trying to take us out. And the enemy is a devourer that's looking to see how he can kill, he can steal from us, or he can just destroy us in any way he can. Father God, while this isn't a happy rah, rah, rah message, it's not going to stir us up, Lord. It's something we need to healthily look at. Lord, while I don't believe there's a devil behind every bush or a snake in every bundle of sticks, there are some, and the enemy is, as you've warned us, looking for ways to take us out. Lord, I ask you this morning as I'm challenged to stay building my house on the rock. Lord, that we're building your church on the rock. Lord, it's not just words. It's not semantics. But Lord, it it has to do with our choices. Lord, today I pray over everyone that's here in the sound of my voice. And Lord, I ask you to help us all to take that next step. To build our house firmly on a foundation that when the storms come, we're not going to be taken out. That when the enemy comes, to destroy us when he walks around prowling that we're able to withstand and we haven't left a foothold for him Lord I speak a blessing over everyone that's paying their tithes and their offerings and Lord while this message isn't about that Lord I thank you that you gave us that privilege and that you rebuke the devourer over us Father, I commit this message to you and pray the Lord you will accomplish your words and everyone who hears it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.